Today's program may be the most unbelievable and life-changing program that we've ever hosted on the Cedarville Stories podcast. I first met this couple back in 2008 when Leanne and I were working at a different college and Michael was pursuing a master's degree in exegetical studies at a seminary. Today, Michael is assistant professor of biblical theology at Cedarville University and Leanne is the administrative assistant in the Department of History and Government at Cedarville. Now let's fast forward to this summer, June 19th, 2021 to be exact, and what was thought to be a normal Saturday became anything but a normal day for Michael and Leanne. We'll get into that story on the program, but for now, let me welcome Michael and Leanne McKay to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Thank you for having us, Mark. It's, it's great to see you guys, and uh, we do have a little bit of uh, history, not just here at Cedarville, which uh, makes this even um, more meaningful and special to me. But uh, as, as we have walked, as you have walked through this journey, and I've followed from a, a, sh- a short distance away, you know, I feel like I know your story pretty well. But uh, for starters, Michael, um, let's start with you. Can you walk us through the morning of June 19th? Yes, so uh, June 19th, as, as you mentioned, Saturday, it's a Saturday, and it was actually uh, notable just because we didn't have a whole lot going on that Saturday. I'd already woken up and, and uh, taken a shower and gotten ready, and, um, and it, was, it was maybe 10 a.m., something okay. like that, where I felt a, or I'm feeling might be kind of too strong of a word. Hearing might be too strong of a word. It was some kind of in between there sensation uh, of a pain in my throat uh, that went all the way down to my lower back. And I, I definitely wasn't sure what it was. You know, my first thought was maybe I'd kind of tweaked a muscle or right. something like that. Right. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll walk it off. Yeah. You know, and that was kind of my first response. And as I was walking around the house, it just didn't get any better. Uh, I asked Leanne if she wouldn't mind getting me something to eat. Uh, maybe I thought I was hungry and just right. hadn't eaten for a while. And uh, while she's uh, getting that for me, my left leg started to go numb. And I quickly Googled the symptoms of a stroke because I thought I remembered you know, any kind of numbing sensation on your left side as right. a sure sign of stroke. And I thought, well, that must be what I'm having here. I must be having some kind of minor stroke. I went back upstairs, and I thought, I'm going to get my shoes on so we can go to the emergency room. And by the time I had finished getting my shoes on, my left leg was completely numb, and I, I could could not walk on it. So I, I, or I couldn't use it for support, I should say. I hobbled over to the stairs, and I, I literally slid down uh, the stairs on my on my rear end, and about that time, Leanne uh, came to check up on me, and um, I told her, you know, the update. Uh, I said it's not getting any better. My throat still hurts, and my left leg is completely numb. And so she said, "Well, that settles that. You're going to go to the ER." And I was already with her, you right. know, and mentally, I was like, "Yes, we need to go to the ER." And so that was really the first phase, and uh, it was just really a relaxing Saturday that within probably a half hour, maybe 40 minutes tops, um, things kind of got really exciting and interesting to where we're heading to the ER. Okay, so, so um, 
take us a little further down the journey. So you guys decide to go to the ER. You go to Green Memorial, correct? Correct. Yep. To, uh, walk us through what transpired in the next few minutes to an hour. Yeah, so um, Leanne drove, and thankfully we're only a couple miles away from the emergency room, so that was the quicker option than getting an ambulance. And uh, Leanne pulled into the uh, parking lot and quickly ran in and um, told them that she thought I might be having a stroke, told them that my left leg was numb. And boy, they were unbelievably prompt. I mean, they just jumped right into action. Uh, Within just a matter of like a minute or so, there was someone out there with a wheelchair helping me to get in it. Uh, Before Leanne had even had a chance to park the car and come back in, they had already gotten me upstairs to the to get a ct scan on my head so uh the the i we thought or at least i told them i I wondered if this was a stroke you know just because my left leg was numb so they kind of went with that right Right, away and that's why they gave the ct scan of my head and when the results came back from that uh, they noticed that there was some issues with my carotid arteries in my neck and the general tenor of the emergency room before that was actually a bit, I don't want to say optimistic, but they were saying, look, if this is a stroke, you got in here very quickly and, you know, be encouraged kind of, you know, we'll, we'll be able to um, mitigate what's going on. Yeah. And so I, I would say not that there was a, a tone of lightness, or, but there was optimism in some ways, especially in contrast to what happened next. Right. Um, so the doctor noticed some issues with my carotid arteries and, and he said, look, I want you to go back. I want, they're going to take you back upstairs to get a, a CT scan of your entire chest. Yeah. So, and then when the results of that came back, like I said, the, the sobriety in the room increased, the somberness increased, right. uh, it definitely got negative because yeah. that's when they discovered that, um, my aorta had dissected. Mm-hmm which is an unfamiliar term for both Leanne and I. We weren't really sure what all that meant. What does it mean? Yeah, so Leanne's actually had a chance to look at the scan, so maybe I'll let her yeah, go ahead, kind of Leanne. describe this a bit. Yeah, so uh, they let me look at the scans, and the best way I can describe it right. is it reminded the aorta comes, you know, the carotids, and then it goes all the way down the body, and then it uh, goes to the femoral artery on the right and left. Yeah. It looked like a water hose and someone had taken an X-Acto knife and made a crack through it all the way down. I could visibly see the crack in his aorta. And then on the left side, where it splits off, it had completely uh, closed off. Occluded is the word they used. And that's why there was numbness in his leg. Because there's no blood flow going there. So at this point, I want to interject here. I mean... Um, at the time of this, you were only 49 years old. Correct. So this is really rare. Is this, is this a, a genetic, genetic situation that's in your family? As we learned a little bit later, um, uh, I had an aneurysm. And so the aneurysm was located close to where the aorta plugs into the heart. So the aneurysm ended up creating uh, destruction all along the aorta and caused the dissection, and it caused the... Uh, the femoral artery going to the left leg, at least at the beginning of that branch, to collapse. Um, So, and it, you know, just did significant damage, uh, including to my, the valve, uh, the aortic valve where the aorta plugs in. 
ended it up it ended up needing to be uh, repaired. So, yeah, all of that from that aneurysm that probably just finally ballooned after all these years and uh, created just a, a, a really path of yeah destruction, a lot of havoc. So, what happened next for you? You know, just in case we haven't said it clearly enough, the medical team was fantastic. They they really were. The doctor who was on duty in the ER, he started looking around for a cardiac surgeon. So they ended up um, eventually getting me into a paramedics, uh, excuse me, into an ambulance, and the paramedics took over for the, uh, from there. But just kind of as a point of interest, uh, the doctor told Leanne and I what it was, uh, you know, dissected aorta, but we didn't really have a category for what that meant. What does that mean? Yeah. 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 So, but because everybody was so quiet and somber, um, I thought, well, I, you know, I might, I might could die from this. And that was the first time that really kind of went through my mind. And I waved Leanne to come over to the bedside and I just uh, whispered in her ear. I said, if I happen to die, you know, here's what I want you to know, and here's what I want the kids to know. And um, uh, that was the last time I saw Leanne until I woke up in the ICU on Sunday. Thankfully, woke up. Absolutely. Yeah. Leanne, so he, he calls you over. He shares all this stuff. What's going through your heart and mind? Um, the, all the emergency people there had left. They said, we're going to give you a few minutes. So it was just the two of us, and Michael called me over. And I remember praying, Lord, as he's talking to me, you know, he's telling me, don't be angry at the Lord. Yeah. You know, he's been so good to me. He goes, I love him so much. Yeah. Um, I left that conversation with several things. One, I thought, no doubt in my mind how much my husband loves the Lord mm-hmm. and how much he loves me and the kids. Yeah. And then I also prayed, uh, it was a most precious moment, but excruciating. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just a moment that I will cherish forever. But I was like, how, how am I here at this point? Yeah. Possibly listening to um, him share his, his last, last words. words. And I asked the Lord to help me remember every detail of it so that if I had to share it with the kids. Then. So how, how is where you are right now in the story, how has that impacted your family today? Yeah, there's... Uh, there's a, a, I think in the process, there is grieving in some ways because, like Leanne said, you have to, you have to come to grips with the fact that, you know, your dad or your husband may have just died, and then there's a sense of rejoicing. In other words, I think to in, to ignore what happened and just say, well, it's good you're, you're you're alive, uh, you're not actually processing. At least for our family, it seemed like you're not processing and chewing on the. The, the the monumental thing that almost happened uh, on June 19th. And so I, I think all the kids are processing, uh, of course, in their own way. They all have their own unique personalities. And thankfully, they're, the, uh, they're believers and they love the Lord. And so uh, as we talk about it as a family, you know, we interject um, the goodness of the Lord and we talk about the resurrection of Christ, and yeah. we talk about how our hope is in that. And uh, this not only provides comfort for the future when we do all ultimately pass away, but it provides the theological grid work to be able to process the, the almost terrifying events that right. happened and then also process 
really the exciting um, just interaction with God in our lives and preserving my life. It's, it's an ongoing process. I'm sure you live with this yes. every day, every moment. It's hard mm-hmm. not to, I would think. And so that, all the kids were actually gone when this happened. Yes. That's right. So, there, you know, one was in Maine, one was in Egypt, one was in a wedding in Indiana. So yes. that added a layer of them hearing about this. I'm trying to communicate over the phone. Hey, Dad, we're bringing him to the emergency room. We're not sure what's happening to. Dad has heard a section. It's serious. You need to get back here as soon as possible. Yeah. I want to share some stats with um, our listeners. So according to the International Registry of Acute Aortic Dissection, 33% of patients do not survive the surgery that you went through, Michael, after 24 hours. And that number goes to 50% that they don't survive after 48 hours. That, that's amazing in, that you're here. So when did you realize the situation was even worse than you even imagined. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. And, and even one of the other stats, which um, the, may not be included in there, is that a lot of people don't even make it to the surgery. That's true. Uh, a very high percentage of people who have aortic dissection. Um, as you can imagine, you know, if the aorta actually does fully dissect and and, mm-hmm. and your, or your aneurysm bursts, then there's not just not a lot of time there to be no. able for the medical profession to do something. So when they finally got me to uh, the next um, next surgery room, the next hospital, and the doctor, the surgeon, uh, asked me if I wanted a pig's valve or a synthetic valve for my heart. And once again, I don't didn't have the medical categories to even know why we were talking about that or even how to answer that question. So inside, I remember la- actually kind of chuckling, thinking, how in the world am I supposed to make a decision like that? And I, I have no context for that. And I said, can you give me the pro-con list real quick? And, and, and uh, thankfully, he was able to do that in like 10 seconds. Um, and so I, I picked my option. And um, then I, I asked him, I said, doctor, this seems really serious. Um, is it, is, am I reading that correctly? Is this a serious situation? And that, that's when he told me, he goes, yeah, very few people uh, survive the surgery. And I remember I was pretty much being taken back to the emergency room or the sur- uh, surgery room, the operating room, I should say. And I remember that's the first time I thought, oh, okay, that sounds uh, like I'll probably die today. That, that was the first, that before when I talked to Leanne, I thought it's a possibility and I better tell her my last words. Now I thought it's a reality. I'm, I'm gonna be with the Lord in a few minutes. Um, and I have to admit there was, a, there was a part of me that, you know, it, emotionally I wasn't able to process this. I had two or three minutes before yeah. they put me under anesthesia. So this was just a couple of minutes to think through it. So emotionally I hadn't caught up with what that meant, but intellectually, I thought, okay, well, this is this is the believer's hope. I'll be with the Lord, and that's a good thing. And there was a note of maybe um, excitement there. Uh, but then, almost immediately after that, I I thought, well, my wife will be alone. Uh, my kids, even though they're they're older, they'll be without their father. And so I prayed and I asked the Lord if uh, He would uh, preserve my life. Um, if he would allow me to, to have some more years um, uh, at minimum to just be with my family. Yeah. 
And clearly he answered that, but that's, that's pretty much the last thing, uh, the last thing I remember praying, of course, before the surgery. And then an, another point of interest is the, one of the paramedics came up to me as I'm being wheeled into the OR. And, you know, I think everybody is thinking there's a good chance this guy's going to die. Right. And so he was once again, just not only a professional, but showed all kinds of uh, just compassion. Right. And he said, is there anything I can do for you before you go in? Yeah. And I said, yeah, if you'd find my wife and just tell her I love her. Yeah. Because I, I really did. I thought I was going to be with the Lord. And um, apparently, the, as I was going under the anesthesia, I was continuing to talk about right. <laughs> my wife, which is, uh, you know, one of those, I guess, semi-romantic things that you could never replicate, never sure. want to replicate. But right. uh, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that uh, potentially my last words would have been something to that effect. Yeah. yeah. What can you share to other married couples who aren't going through a life or death situation that would encourage them in their journey together as a spouse mm -hmm. couple? One thing that really stood out to me is the fact that when the kids heard what Michael had said and that he had talked about me, they weren't even surprised. Right. They just weren't surprised. They're like, that's dad. Dad's always talking about mom and telling us how much he loves her. And to me, I think that's such a legacy for our children, but it's something that in our marriage, we've made it a point to verbalize how much we love each yeah. other and the things we love about each other. Yeah. The fact that he knows I'd be I like to talk to everybody. Yes, you do. Michael knows that. And the fact that he, that's something he appreciates and loves and validates. Yeah. Um, I think those things are important. Yeah. So Michael's surgery was 10 and a half hours. That had to be a long 10 and a half hours for you, Leanne. How did you deal with it? How did you cope with it? Um, walk us through that if you could. Yeah, so I arrived at the hospital. I actually beat the ambulance. Really? You must <laughs> so, have been speeding. So I'm like, was I speeding? <laughs> I'm trying to remember back my drive. It was a very emotional drive, but I, I beat the ambulance there. Um, and so I'm just kind of wandering, trying to figure out where I should go. That's when the ambulance driver found me, told me where I should sit down. Another nurse came and told me um, she would try to give me updates. Um, then the surgeon came out to talk to me. He mentioned about the two different valves, synthetic right. or a, a pig's valve. What did you pick, by the way? I picked synthetic. Yep. Uh, uh, with the synthetic, apparently, you only do it one time, and then you're just on drugs or you know daily medicine for the rest of your life. The pig's valve, they said, you know, you're young, you might have to get it replaced. And I was like, I do not want to have to do this again. So okay. one, one and done is what I told them. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah, so then, um, so the surgeon came out, kind of explained to me what they were doing. He said um, he was going to start with the heart valve because he was most concerned about that. Come to find out, he actually took care of Michael's left leg. Had he not, Michael could have lost his leg. Correct. So he had to do a bypass. But he explained what was happening, and I'm trying to wrap my brain around it. I said, well, how am I going to know, like, if everything's going okay? And he had me write my name and number on a piece of paper, and he brought it to the emergency room, and a nurse would call me with updates. Really? Throughout the day? Yeah. So they called me right before he went on bypass, but then six hours later, he was on it for six hours. That was a long time. But um, Pastor Joe Godwin was the first to show up. I didn't even know he knew. As I was talking to the kids, one of the things they told me, made me promise, was that I would not be alone. Right. 
Um, so I'm thinking, okay, none of the kids are here. I don't have family nearby. So I called my friend Jerry Walquist. Jerry Walquist, sure. Um, if, asked if she could come. And, but Pastor Joe, Andrew called the church and told the pastors. So Pastor Joe was the first to show up. Um, Joey and his wife showed up. Joey Paul, Turner. Yep. Uh, Paul Piles showed up. Um, Betty Bezaeus came. Yeah. And I was never alone. For the entire ten and a half hours, they had me laughing, telling <laughs> stories. We, I, I thought, um, that, uh, Dr. White and Dr. Trent Rogers showed up kind of near the end and prayed with me and read some scripture. And I was, that was my first um, of many experiences throughout the thing of tasting of the encouragement and love of the body of Christ. Yeah, I felt loved and cared for, and and not alone. Did you ever think uh, during those ten, ten and a half hours you were going to lose Michael? I thought it many times. Every time the, I picked seating right by the doors that led to the emergency room. So every time it opened, my heart sank, and I would reach over and grab Jerry's hand. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes I just had to get up and leave, and I, I felt a little bit of panic that, you know, it's taking a long time. Um, I kept thinking about my kids. What am I going to tell them? If something happens, right. um, yeah. So you'll feel all the ups the and downs, emotions. roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when uh, when did you first feel a sense of optimism that things are going to be okay? Because he is a miracle child. Yes. Hmm. Um, well, one of the things I thought of because it was taking so long, I thought, well, that has to be a good sign because yeah. no one's come out and talked to me yet. Right. Um, but I just. Um, this is something that helped me through many times where I would sometimes just say the name of Jesus. And it grounded me. It made me think of who he is and his unchanging character. And I thought about that that time too. And sometimes I just have to get up and just think about things. And I just had a peace that he was going to be okay. He was, yeah. was going to make it through. I didn't know the beyond. Um, but it was kind of near the end. The first part, I just was unsure. Near the end, I felt, okay, I think he's going to be okay. So uh, the surgery continues. Finally, he's out of surgery, and he is at this point okay. When was the first time that you guys were able to see each other? At least you saw him. I don't know if he saw you right away. Yeah. But uh, talk about first time you saw Michael, and then the first time when you guys actually could converse with each other. Yeah, sadly, um, the surgeon came out around 12.30. Alexis was with me at the time, explained how the surgery went, and he left. Um, then a nurse came out and said it would be hours before I could see Michael because they have to. he's still on anesthesia, still um, intubated, all that. Um, by that time, Michael's family, uh, mom and dad and brother had showed up. So they weren't giving me a specific time, so we decided to go back home and sleep for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we were there um, in the morning. The very next morning, I got to go in and see him in the ICU. Oh, God. And so, what was that like? It was very emotional. Uh, but also, for all of us, we we cried. Michael was, was out of it. Uh, quite a bit so he'd like wake up say something I think he said something about my family and then he'd sleep and he just was kind of in and out Um, I just stood by Michael's bed and I just couldn't stop touching his face and his hands 
and thanking the Lord, you know, that, that he was there. It was difficult to, to see him. Um, I could see the top part of his scar. Um, but at that point, I just was filled with just so much gratitude yeah. for the Lord. Yeah, and for me, that first day in the ICU, I really only have like snapshots of memories. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot of coherent memories. I have more like pictures of my family and my mom and dad and brother visiting. So it wasn't really till Monday that I I was able to kind of start thinking again and, and the medicine started wearing, or the surgical medicine started wearing off, yeah. And Tuesday morning is the first time when we walked in, he's like, oh, it's my wife and kids. It was really? like a real, like before he would acknowledge us, but that was, I was like, oh, okay, he's, yeah, he's, he's coming back. He's 100% he's there, yeah. yeah. And, and what you were told was by the, a lot of the, the the medical staff, whether it's doctors, nurses, whatever, that they were surprised with his recovery. Is that correct? Absolutely. Like, hands down, everyone was just like, he is a miracle. Like, we just can't believe it. The anesthesiologist actually came to see him because she just still could not believe. She kept saying, I can't believe how well he's doing. Mm -hmm. The emergency room that we first took him to called the hospital to check on him several times just because they were in awe of the fact that he had survived and was doing so well. Yeah, like Leanne said, they were they were unanimous and saying miracle, miracle, miracle for days. I mean, I, like I said, I was barely aware for Sunday and Monday, but then after that, when my awareness kicked in, I I remember them coming in every morning and, hey, here's the miracle man, you know, and um, uh, they were clearly thinking that against all the statistics and all the odds, and and then even the surgeon's own. Um, history. In other words, he had done these kind of surgeries before. Right. He's saying, you know, what happened to you is a miracle. Um, and then all of this, we have some family that are in the medical profession, and we have some friends that are actually in um, cardiac ICU units, and and they said, look, your your experience is not typical. That's not the way these things normally work, and so. As we began to learn more about aortic dissection and we began to learn more about statistics uh, in regard to them, we actually stopped reading uh, statistics because they're all negative, you know, generally speaking. And um, it became difficult to process that against the fact that the Lord had clearly preserved my life. Um, And and so, you know, just just a bit of of candor here. I, I actually, I never... I never really wrestled with the question, you know, as I would begin processing this over the next few weeks, I never really wrestled with the question of why me, you know, God, why did you allow this to, to be me? That, that felt like the wrong question to be asking. Um, I, instead, I wrestled with the fact that why am I alive? <laughs> yeah. Because there's so many people that have this and they end up, don't sur- they don't survive. And, um, and there were other stories that I began hearing of people we were loosely affiliated with that were about my age that maybe passed away from COVID or right. something else. And I, re- and they're believers. And I remember thinking, Lord, why, why do they, uh, why, are, uh, why is their life taken and they're with you and, and I'm not. And I finally came to, um, realize that that's above my pay grade in a lot of ways mm-hmm. you know that that's up to the lord and that that the king has the the right to take soldiers home to be with him or to leave some in the field and 
that may sound like a weird encouragement, but for me, it just kind of focused me on not dwelling on questions that aren't really relevant. I, I trust that now to the Lord as well, um, and I'm comforted by that. I want to uh, fast forward to um, two months to the day mm-hmm. after you had your uh, surgery and survived it. You're in a college classroom at Cedarville University. You're teaching for the first time. What was the preparation like for you mentally to be able to come back so quickly and be able to teach? And so you're in the, you know, school's going on now. So how are you doing it? How- yeah, yeah, that's uh, that is amazing as well. I mean, um, the doctors uh, maybe in uh, a week after the surgery they asked, "What do you do for a living?" And I told them I teach at Cedarville University, and they they kind of thought for a second and they said, "Well, you'll probably be able to be back at that in the fall." And I was really stunned because, I mean, my body was uh, felt destroyed at that time, even a week after. Right. And I, but what what it did for me is it kind of dangled a carrot, you know, that oh wait, I, I've got something to look forward to, you know, right. uh, something that I want to be ready for. Right. And for the first time, preparing for classes was a very physical. Thing instead of just working over my notes and editing those. So Leanne was really encouraging. You know, she would say, "Hey, let's let's try and walk down the block. You know, just to get to the corner maybe at first, and then, hey, let's try to go around the block." And so she, she plus my cardiac rehab. You know, I was doing that multiple times a week between the two of of them. Uh, that helped me get my heart and lungs kind of back in shape, uh, breathing well. And then uh, my voice, even now, it's still a little bit uh, raspy and not as strong as it, it used to be. Uh, Leanne suggested maybe reading out loud. So uh, we would read the Bible to each other. Um, and I may be only get, able to get through a column you know, before my voice goes up, but it got stronger over time. And so finally, you're right, two months to the day, um, I shared my story in class so the students would know that if they heard my voice raspy or if they saw me take big, deep breaths, that right. they would have have some knowledge of that. And I, I wanted to encourage their faith as well. Yeah. I didn't want to. I didn't want to uh, leave them out of what the Lord had done for my family and I. How, how have the students responded to your story? Yeah, Leanne alluded to this a bit uh, earlier when she said that she was just overwhelmed with the encouragement of the body of Christ. And I I know we don't have a ton of time to give a lot of illustrations here, but the students have come, and the faculty, my coworkers, and other parts of the university, we've been praying for you regularly throughout the summer. Um, And then it usually extends into something even more than that. We... I w- maybe I worked at a camp this summer and my camp was praying for you or I ran uh, your name through the prayer chain at my church and so they were praying for you. And over the course of the first particularly three to four weeks, I was receiving daily cards and emails that were a constant encouragement. I mean, I I can't tell you how much they meant to me. Just people who were tell- wanted to let me know they were praying for me uh, this includes um, uh, some uh, videos that I did for a missions organization. So there were Christians in about four or five different countries who had watched me teach Romans on video. They were praying for me. Uh, probably one of the, the sweetest things was some uh, missionaries that we're good friends with in a tribe in Papua New Guinea. They Zoomed with us. Did they really? And they said, look, we've shared your story with the 
new believers here in this tribe, and they're praying for you. And boy, I tell you what, it just, it, it was, I don't, I, the only term I can really think of is overwhelming gratitude. Every time one of, a new story came in like this, I just crumbled inside with thankfulness to the Lord. It was overwhelming. So um, it was probably one of the first times I've seen uh, that level of encouragement and um, and just really being uh, nourished in that way through prayer and encouragement from the universal church around the world. It was truly amazing. That's, that's so encouraging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not surprised, but it's so encouraging. So thanks for sharing that with me and, and our listeners. Um, Leanne, how are you doing? Because it's a daily, it's a daily uh, grind even now for you, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing really well. So we, he's come, I'll look at pictures from the hospital. I just have a few. Um, and I just marvel at how far he's come. Once in a while, I think we both have moments where you grieve a little bit, where yeah. you miss. We used to love going on hikes. We'd yes. Like, for three hours, we just go hiking. I miss, I miss yeah. that. Um, I think that's just a natural, I'm not bitter about it, but you do grieve sometimes, right. some of the losses. But I'm so grateful uh, for how far he's come and that he's able to do what he's gifted to do, which is teaching that. Um, we get excited that we walk two blocks, you know, and that we're pushing now three. And That's great. You, you celebrate all the, the, the victories yeah. and know that we'll come with a new normal eventually and yeah. enjoy the process. I want to thank you for t- telling your story uh, with us today, not, and not just with us in, in the podcast, but um, sharing it in other vehicles that we're going to share at the university. So, so thank you for that. Uh, my last question um, it's only been a couple of months, obviously, since this whole story unfolded. But my last question to you guys is, how have you seen the Lord use your story for your good and his glory? Definitely, we take the opportunity to share the story um, so that the Lord Jesus will be praised. I mean, that's, that is the clear reason that we want to do this. Um, for myself personally, I have been just reminded of uh, Jesus's kingship, and for some reason, that was one of those doctrinal points that kept re- coming back to mind repeatedly while I was in the hospital. Um, that the Lord Jesus rules, and uh, that we uh, not only are His children, but we're part of this kingdom where He is providing for us and governing, um, and that was very comforting, and it helped to focus my thoughts. And maybe uh, on, a, on an equal measure, I was just reminded of my own hope and the resurrection of the dead because Jesus has raised from the dead. And so, um, I, you know, as a Bible teacher, I usually think in terms of Jesus' death being for our sins, and that's completely true. That's right. Yeah, we, we hold to that 100%. Now what I've been thinking is that Jesus' death is actually him going before me into death. Hebrews 2 talks about this, that he took on the form of flesh and blood so that he might uh, not only destroy the devil, but free those who have been enslaved all their life to fear of death. And that's an interesting way the authors put it, because Jesus has entered into death and he's gone through that for us and he's been raised from the dead and so because of that he's walked the path 
that we will all one day walk. And as believers, we will walk that path of death leading to resurrection. So um, all of those thoughts are fresh on my mind. And so those are a few of the ways that the Lord has encouraged my heart. And uh, I I enjoy sharing those things because I want want believers to be encouraged with the resurrection of the dead. Yeah, and I I want to encourage those listening to the podcast to, uh, when you think of it, pray for Michael and Leanne and the family. Maybe the heavy heavy work is done, you know, and he survived the surgery, but there's still uh, a road for Michael to walk, and your prayers would be greatly appreciated. So if you think about it, pray for Michael and Leanne. And uh, guys, thanks for uh, joining me today on the program. It's always good to be with you guys. I want to thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider, And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.